wow, I think we just need to go straight to the preaching, Chad. <laughs> that was great. Well, in a moment, we are we're going to uh, be in Ephesians 3. And um, in there, Paul um, describes himself as the least of the people of God. Yet the gospel was given to him to share to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That word unsearchable means unable to comprehend. And we just sang this song. It's titled Christ and Christ Crucified. That's hard to comprehend. At least it is for me that there is a God, a powerful God, that cares enough about me, about us, that he would send his son to be crucified. But the good thing is I don't have to comprehend it. I just have to accept it, right? Um, but it got me to thinking, what, uh, what do we need to do to be caring for others? I mean, God cared for us enough to do that. What do we need to do to care for others? I got a text yesterday that um, our preschool ministry needs six people uh, to kind of fill all the slots for Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, you know, surely Colonial Hikes can accomplish that. Um, in a minute, we're going to see a, a video of a fairly new ministry here at Colonial Hikes called Image Bearers. Um, it's a great ministry. Um, I can attest to um, how important that ministry is because I've got a grandchild that's, that's in that class. And it's important these parents appreciate that so much. My wife ran into a... Um, person she hadn't seen in a long time a lady we used to play baseball with them and uh, they have an autistic daughter who's now in her 30s and she shared with my wife that one of the greatest regrets that she had was they were not able to go to church together because there was not a place for this autistic daughter well we have that place for families can come they can come together and they can uh, and they can worship and fellowship so it's important ministry so Pay attention to that, to that video. Um, you know, there are lots of other places that, uh, that we can serve in the church as well. Um, and so consider where your place may be in that. You know, um, God's done a lot for us. And we can even say, hey, even the least of us, God can make a difference by using us. So let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we do thank you that, um, that you came, Lord, that you were crucified, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that that entails for us as believers. Lord, we don't want to take that lightly for all the things that, that you do for us, Lord, that, uh, that we do. We need to serve, Lord, to show that love to others, to care for others, Lord. So may you find us doing our part uh, in everything, Lord. We pray this in your name. When we were looking for a church home originally, um, having a child with autism is a huge factor in every decision you make. It, it impacts every, every moment, every relationship, every conversation. There wasn't, at the time, a specific special needs ministry established. Uh, so we just asked questions about how they could handle Judah, kind of what his needs were, and, and and they just said, "Bring them," you know, mm -hmm. and they would they would do what they would do what they needed to do to 
uh, make sure he was taken care of and make sure that we could uh, worship. And, and it's pretty much been the story ever since. Um, so our son Bryce, he was born with a partial chromosome deletion. And uh, ever since he was born, we thought, you know, we really want him to, to know Jesus and, uh, and learn from it in a, in a setting that's conducive for him. And Image Bearers has definitely been uh, that for, for us and, and for him. Honestly, I don't think we would have been able to serve unless we knew that Bennett was taken care of and seen and loved. Um, honestly, the Lord really answered our prayers because um, there were times that we would leave church services in tears because he reached the five um, five-year-old limit and he was expected to come to church and he just wasn't ready yet. And Image Bearers has allowed us to to uh, peacefully go to church and listen to and, and worship ourselves and know that he's in a safe place that he enjoys. Mm -hmm. For us to be able to come to worship and not have to think or wonder if he's cared for um, really allows us to be there, really be there and experience <clears throat> that uh, time together with our faith family. He, he loves going there. He knows where he's going. When we get out of the car, he's going straight to that room. And it means a lot to Judah because he loves being out of the house. And after a weekend with a lot of time spent at home, he's ready to get out on Sunday morning. And so he loves coming here and walking around and doing his normal routine here. You know, everybody just feels like family. And we do not feel uh, concerned or judged or or anything uh, here and so having having this specific ministry for our son um, it provides sort of a, a peace and a calm in the midst of, a, of the storm of a life with a special needs child not hard it's not hard to work with these kids with special needs it's just a different experience and it's it's just once you do it and it it, it just can be life-changing to designate this special ministry and, and set aside a room and, and recruit the manpower to, to, um, to be able to make this ministry happen um, really means a lot to us um, because we know that we know that cost. We are grateful and we hope that this ministry continues to grow. We hope that uh, people will be challenge to serve and, and to see a, a new perspective, to know kind of, be more aware and know how to, how to pray for us and pray for the families in the church that have special needs children. Yeah, y'all can applaud that. Yeah, we praise God for how he is working in that, that ministry. And uh, I will just say, uh, Sometimes people use words like the least of these, but I would just say they are ours. These are our people, our family. I'm so thankful for uh, the effort that is being made. And I would 
uh, just tell you that maybe it is that you were stirred by that. Maybe, maybe that's something you could participate in, an opportunity for you to serve. It doesn't mean that you would serve there every week, but that you might take an opportunity on a rotation to, to take a turn in there and learn what all that might look like. If you want to do that, you can contact uh, here at the office. You can uh, reach out to Gretchen Mahan or to Janet Howard, either one of them, and they would love to kind of plug you into that ministry and help explain more of those things, but we praise God that, that we, we really see this as a blessing for us as a church, that God has brought families here uh, with children that have special needs. That is a gift to us, and so uh, may we see God do more, more things there and mighty things there, and uh, I'm so thankful. One of the kind of requests was that, that he would know Jesus we, we do expect that. Like we hope, we want to instill the truth of God's word into them as even as we look to God's word right now, it is our heart's desire that all people that are here, whether in a classroom or in this room, would know the love and power of Jesus Christ. Uh, so today we're going to look at the book of Ephesians that will hopefully stir our hearts to that very truth. I wonder, so if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter three, start heading there. And wonder if you've ever been in a meeting where someone started chasing a rabbit. You might have been in one of those meetings with me. I'm not saying I would have chased a rabbit, but there, there, you know those rabbit trails that happen? Like uh, you start a sentence, you, you start a conversation, and then somebody like just literally goes off this way. And it's kind of connected, but it it feels a little disjointed, and then they, the, the challenge is always getting them back to the, the main trail. Maybe this happens in life group for you. Maybe this happens uh, in your marriage. Nobody needs to give an elbow right now, okay? Um, but, but maybe this is the kind of thing that happens. Well, interestingly, in chapter 3, uh, we actually get uh, what you might call like a holy rabbit trail, okay? Paul seems to kind of take a start something, and then verses 2 through 13 are like a little bit of a rabbit trail. And then, as we'll see next week, when you get back to verse 14, it's like, oh, this is, this is where verse 1 was, okay? So we're going to kind of, we're going to follow that rabbit trail today, okay? So let's, uh, in, in fact, thinking about this, if you look in your Bible, uh, and you're looking, uh, we're going to read the text in just a minute, but but. At the end of verse 1, does some of your text have like a, a, a dash at the end of verse 1? That's why. So imagine next time somebody takes a rabbit trail, they just, they just gave a dash, right? Like, here we go. Um, so it's, 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 he's about to pray, but he pauses to explain something quite important. He describes the expectations of every believer. And so if we are truly believers, then we will be Christ-centered. Christ and Christ crucified is what we will preach and sing. Thus, they are true believers. So he's making sure that what he describes is true believers. You know, we might choose to show up every week and live a decent life, not commit any of the big sins, but we might miss out on the whole point of Christianity. Right? And so, so Paul's making sure that those that he speaks to here 
understand true believers. This is how Charles Spurgeon put it this way, that every Christian should either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. That doesn't work. doesn't make sense. This text reminds us, in fact, I want you to, to hone in on this. This text reminds us that true believers understand the richness of the gospel. And despite whatever challenges they face, they realize it is worth exclaiming to all peoples of the earth. This is what true believers are. So let's see how Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter three. Follow along with me. Paul writes, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive any, my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal power that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. That was a lengthy little uh, rabbit trail. And it's an extensive one in that. So what I want us to hone in on is trying to understand what is a true believer. Well, according to this, true believers suffer the consequences. True believers suffer the consequences. And I will tell you that on the, like even just on the onset, this is not going to sound like uh, a good sales pitch on following Jesus, right? Not, not, not initially at least, because if what you're hearing is that, and you ought to, is that if you are to be a, a true believer, a, a real follower of Christ, not just one in name only, but one who actually is a follower of Christ, then you should expect suffering, heartache, hardship, difficulty. I don't know what other hard word you want. Discipline. Paul uses this word even in Verse one, he says, I am a prisoner of, of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. He goes on in verse 13 at the end, kind of these uh, like, uh, bookends of this, this section. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. If this is the, if, if this is the start and I'm, I'm a 
about to say, hey, you should be a true believer. By the way, it's going to be really hard. You should do it though, right? You should really believe in Jesus. You should really follow after Christ. It's going to include suffering and maybe even imprisonment, but you should do it. Right? This doesn't sound like a great exchange, does it? Exchange what doesn't seem that bad or what seems like kind of challenging for a life of hardship and heartache and suffering and potential imprisonment or maybe even martyrdom, death. It, it seems not so great until we realize that this exchange is actually an exchange of accepting temporary earthly difficulties in exchange for eternal heavenly glories, right? We're, we're not exchanging just uh, the pleasantries here on earth, life without challenge. We're exchanging temporary heartache for eternal glory. That's a different exchange. You see, life is hard, right? If you didn't know that, you will. Life is hard. It's hard because sin exists at, at all, right? Not just because sin exists in your life, but just because it exists at all. Right? The thorns and thistles, like the earth itself has been punished because uh, of sin. Not only that, but life is hard because we choose to sin. There are times, maybe even daily, that we actively choose to sin and we bring on our own hardship. We have our own consequences that we cause because of our sin. But you know, suffering also, hardship happens because we choose to follow Christ. This is the one that we're talking about here, that Paul is talking about here. These sufferings do not typically come if you are a silent Christian, right? People don't throw you in prison for not telling people about Jesus. People aren't typically really bothered if you quietly come to faith in Christ. It's when you boldly proclaim it through baptism. It's when you stand in front of someone else and try to convince them that they also should follow Christ. But if you are a silent Christian, that's really just an oxymoron, isn't it? You can't, this, this doesn't work that way. True believers, remember, true believers understand the richness of the gospel and despite whatever challenges they face, whatever hardship, whatever suffering, whatever difficulty, whatever they, they see headed their way, they realize it's worth exclaiming to all the peoples of the earth. This is what true believers do. Remember that song we just sang, God, you're so good. Remember what Calvary has wrought for me? So when this life brings suffering, I will remember what Calvary did for me. And I will say, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Because no matter what heartache or hardship or suffering you walk through now, 
You have exchanged that for an eternity with the creator and sustainer of the universe. True believers suffer the consequences of being true believers. True believers, they also know the mystery, right? Look at verses 2 and following. Assuming that you have heard, this is where right it starts that rabbit trail. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this or read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you remember back to Ephesians chapter 1, when we uh, kind of explained how all of those gifts of being predestined and adopted and brought into the family of God were not just for the chosen people of God, the people of Israel, they're now for all nations. Verse 13, like in him, you. Remember all of the us, our, and we statements that were being made? And then verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Like this is, this is where we now are all a part of the we. This is not just the, the Jewish nation, the Israelite people. This mystery is something we know. Like we in this room, you're hearing it right now, at least. And yet, there are so many who don't yet know of this mystery. For, for some, as Greg said earlier, for some, this unsearchable riches is, is like uh, uncomprehendable. So for, so for some, it, and maybe even some of you, you have heard the mystery of the gospel. You've heard it. It's, it's just like it doesn't, it's not setting in yet. Your heart is hardened to it. But for another three billion people in the world, it's mysterious because they've never even had access to it. Right? They've, they've never had a, an unwrapped present handed to them and say, hey, just open it and, and understand it or, or a, a Bible handed to them in their language. They've never had anyone share this truth with them. So it is mysterious because they have no idea that it exists at all. But this gospel is not, right? It's not just for one nation, the nation of Israel, right? This is making it clear. Paul is wanting for the church in Ephesus and all of those churches in their surrounding areas, and now 2,000 years later, wanting this for us, that, that to understand that this was not just for Israel. It is good for us to be reminded that we are one of those nations in need of the mystery of the gospel. You needed this gospel. And to be clear, the United States of America is not and was not the people of God. We are not the nation of God. We never were. I know that is hard sometimes, but we are one of those other nations. We're one of the, the other groups that this was brought to. So we are brought in by the mighty hand of a merciful, gracious God. If you want to compare us 
to one of the nations in Scripture, we are far more similar to Babylon than we are Israel. Like this, isn't, this isn't like a compliment time. This is wake-up time. This is the time where we look and say, oh, like we're in desperate need of this gospel. We, we needed the mystery to be opened to us. We needed to see it, to know it, to hear it. We need it now. As such, we should be all the more thankful that the gospel is not just for Israel, but is for all nations. Yes, we, I hope you know this from me. I want us to be a church who cares for all nations everywhere. But understand, we are one of those nations that needs the richness of the gospel to be exclaimed and proclaimed. And I'm looking at you when I say you need to proclaim it. Like this needs to be in your DNA, in your regular activity, in your neighborhood, on your social media, in your workplace, at your school, at the playground, on the ball field, uh, in the bleachers, outside of the ball field, wherever it is, you need to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And if you leave that to me, you're failing. If you just say, oh, I'm going to leave it to the preacher to do that work. Let me, let me, this is. Paul did not say that, that, that is that true believers are the pastors. No, true believers understand the mystery of the gospel, that it is mysterious, and that there is a work to take it to those who don't know it. They understand the richness of the gospel. And despite whatever pain, heartache, suffering might come their way, they realize that it is worth exclaiming to all the peoples of the earth. I hope you are beginning to ask, evaluate yourself. Because this is one of those self-evaluating sermons where you continue to ask yourself, if that's what a true believer is, am I one of them? True believers, they, they know the glorious gift of the mystery of the gospel. And true believers understand the gift. All right, look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. So many of us who have been in church for any uh, amount of months or years even would, would know who Paul is, right? At the least, we know that Paul wrote this letter that is now a letter in the Holy Bible. Right? So we would say he's something that seems pretty special. If that's all you know, then, then we know that he's something special. But for many of us, we, we know that he wrote many other letters, right? He wrote letter after letter after letter. And not, did, not just because he wrote a letter, but because he, in most of those cases, he had gone to those places and planted a church there. He's argued to be the the greatest missionary of all time. Like the, he set, he's like the gold standard for pioneer missions in the world. People still today trying to do missionary work like Paul did. 
So, so when Paul says, I'm the very least of these, Paul's not considering his missionary work as something to be celebrated. In fact, in many ways, Paul sees that as the, the normal. This is the expectation that the church will do this. So, of course, there is this. So, so Paul is remembering who he was before, before he was a missionary. Paul is remembering that he was a persecutor of the church. Paul is remembering that he was one that literally gave orders for people to be murdered because they had chosen to follow Christ, to people to be put in prison somewhat, even the, the same prison that he was currently in. He had given orders for other people, other followers of Christ to be placed under house arrest. And so, so Paul is, is remembering that truth. He's remembering how glorious that grace is. I don't know all of your story. I don't know how special you are. I don't know how special you think you are. But I do know that whoever you are, there is grace offered to you. There is grace being offered to those who do not yet know. And so I'm, I'm letting you know that there is a grace being given to you. A grace, this, this might surprise you, this, this next statement. So I need you to hold on for all of it, okay? Grace takes work, but it is not our work, and it is not our power. Grace and works are not exclusive. In fact, grace is a work. It is simply a work of Christ, not a work of man or woman, boy or girl. This is the, the richness of the gospel. That, that you and I who are these wicked, wretched sinners, as evil as Paul, who had killed, persecuted, imprisoned Christians. That's who we were. He said, I didn't do that, Chad. Maybe you don't know my story, but I, I didn't really come from that life. I was saved at a young age. Okay. According to even this book, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So however, that, however we need to qualify that, you were in darkness. You were a child of wrath. You were a, like, wickedness was on your tongue and in your heart. This was who you were. But by God's Grace. That means something that you didn't deserve, giving you something good you didn't deserve. He sent his son, Jesus, his perfect sacrificial son. He offered him to you and took on your punishment, right? That seems like you deserved a punishment from the creator of the universe when you were against him. So he's, he's going to punish you. And so your punishment would be eternity set apart from him. But he sent his son, Jesus, that you could have eternity with God. And scripture just tells us that our responsibility in that is to call out to him in faith, turning away from our sin. Scripture calls that repentance, 
repent, turning away from. Stop believing in ourselves. Stop believing that, that we can work hard enough at it. Stop believing that we can do it on our own. Stop believing that our attendance at church is enough or that our parents' belief is enough. Stop, stop believing that our giving is sufficient. Instead, we turn away from our sin and ourself and our stuff and we trust in Jesus. This is faith. It's believing in the one that we did not see. Trusting in the one that we read about but never never put our hands in his side. We believe anyway. It is this gospel that changes your life and my life, and it is this gospel that changes everything about us and compels us then, because we know the richness of this gospel. We understand the gift that it really is to us. We cherish it so much that we don't want to hold it to ourselves. We don't want to keep it back. Right, But because we understand the richness of this gospel, even if it costs us our life, even if we are persecuted, even if we lose our job, even if we lose our family, even if we <clears throat> are put in prison, we'll do whatever it takes to exclaim this glorious riches to all the peoples on earth. That's a true believer. This is what... True believers understand this gift. And true believers proclaim the truth. Look at the last part of verse 8. He says to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light Everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? I love this preaching unsearchable riches and bringing light to the mystery of the gospel. It makes me think of uh, like treasure hunt, right? Used to love it every once in a while uh, when I was a kid, my, my mom would get creative with like my birthday presents and would send me on a treasure hunt around the house, would have clues to get to the, the next place and the next thing. Just the fun, the, like the excitement that that was. Think about, we, we like that. Culturally, we like that. We, we like movies that are treasure hunts, right? We like books that are those mystery novels. We want to know, hey, what's, what, what's next? Like this, are they going to find out? Do we figure out? We try to figure it out ahead of time. Uh, the who done it kind of things. Like we want to know. We want to figure out before they figure it out. We usually can't. I usually can't. But you have to say it out loud. Y'all know that rule? Like you didn't, when everybody's like, oh, I knew that was coming. No, you didn't. You didn't, unless you said it. Okay? It's not true. Uh, but that's what we love. We, we love these kinds of things. And, and this is what like the richness of the gospel is. It's unsearchable. It's, it's a mystery. These, both of these phrases, both preaching the unsearchable riches and bringing light of the mystery, they're both phrases that emphasize speaking the truth. Think, think about it. How good is a, like, is a treasure hunt if you have no map? So I'm going to work out real well. Right? There's no clues. There's, there's no X's and O's. 
There's no map. There's no directions. There's no instructions. You're just told, hey, there's a something that you should probably try to find. How helpful is that in a treasure hunt? It would be a lot of blank pages on a mystery novel, right? Hours on a blank screen in a movie. It, this would be, no one would buy tickets to that. No one would be searching for an, uns but, but we have it. Like we have the map. We have the, the, we actually have the treasure. We have the treasure and the map in which to get it. And sometimes, sometimes we are far too often enjoying the treasure for ourselves that we forget that it is our task to get that treasure to all who don't have it. You see, true believers understand the richness of the gospel and despite whatever challenges they face, it is worth exclaiming to all the peoples of the earth. So we proclaim this truth and true believers love the church. It's interesting that in this aside, this rabbit trail that Paul is taking here, trying to explain true believers, that he would include the body of Christ in this. An explanation, a, an expectation of a love for the church. You verses 10 and 11. He writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the work of the church. Not, not like the building the church, but the people of the church. The church is the plan for Christ to be made known. Like that, that's a Romans 10 kind of truth, right? How will they know unless someone takes the gospel to them, unless someone preaches to them? There is no plan B. <clears throat> like we're plan A, and there isn't a plan B or C or D. Like this is it. You're it. You're the way that the gospel is supposed to get to all nations. Churches, Colonial Heights, we are intended to be a church that plants churches. This is, this is like part, not just part of the DNA of Colonial Heights. This is supposed to be the DNA of church. Churches, all churches should be the ones who plant churches. You know, the Mississippi Baptist Convention does not plant churches. The North American Mission Board does not plant churches. The International Mission Board does not plant churches. Churches plant churches. This is the work that we do. So, so Colonial Heights, let's get on board with that. Like, let, I, I'm not saying you haven't. I'm saying good job. Like, let's do more of that. Let's see that this is our responsibility. It is our task, Colonial Heights. We desire to be a church that plants churches all around the world. Here in our town, like, or just across the reservoir. Like, we want to do that work. Yes, but it doesn't end there. We want to do that in metropolitan cities around America. We want to do that around the world and in the bush of Africa or in context that we don't even know about yet. We want to do all of those things. This is our plan. It's not a hidden plan. It's not like I'm trying to like secretively like just have back, back uh, hallway conversations about this. This is the upfront plan that we will be a church that plants churches for the glory of God. This is why we're even having a campaign to end our debt. 
and to reach our world. Like this is why we're doing this whatever it takes thing because we believe that it will take whatever it takes. It will take all of us doing all that we can to make Christ known and we do that through planting churches. So like if you're not a part of financially participating in that yet, I want to ask you to, to do that, participate. But this idea that at, through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, that, that it would be made known everywhere. You also need to understand that it is you and I who must love the church. We don't need to see the church as this distant group. No, like this should be how much we love. Remember, if you do not love the church, you do not love Jesus. Or at least not in full. How can you? I've used this example before, but if you say you love me and you hate my wife, Gloria, you do not love me, for we are one. Like if you say, oh, yeah, in fact, it would probably be the opposite, right? Uh, but like if you were to say that you liked me or loved me, and then, but then you despised or you were just, you never wanted to spend time with me unless I wasn't with her, then we can't be friends. We're not on the same page. You don't even understand who I am if you don't understand this relationship. And so if you don't love the church, then you can't fully love Jesus. You're not a true believer. That means that we should cherish what God has given to us in the gift of the church. Not just our, this large group gathering, but the gatherings of small groups of people all around in life groups that, the investment we make in other people's life. I think about, even as we mentioned already, like image bearers. That's a work of the church, caring for the church well. Like we should love this work. True believers understand the richness of the gospel. And despite whatever challenges come their way, whatever hardships and heartaches and suffering, they realize it is worth exclaiming to all the peoples on earth. Finally, I think Paul reminds us that true believers embrace the Christ. Jesus, who is the Christ, the promised one, the rescuer, the savior. It is verse 12 when it says, in whom, right, let's back up a little bit, right? That he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, verse 11, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It is not in our faith in ourselves. It is not in a faith in the pastor or the preacher. It is not in a faith in the church. It is in a faith in Jesus. We need Jesus. There weren't enough amens there. In fact, there were none. So we're going to try that again. We need Jesus. Like, we need him, church. Like, this, is, this has got to be who we are. If we, if we think we can make it through this life without Jesus, we have grossly underestimated our Savior. Like, we, we must have him. He is who we long for. He is who we hope to spend eternity with. He is not just who we long for one day. It's who we need right now. This is paramount to the gospel. Right? The, the gospel is not some prayer that you pray or some aisle that you walk 
or some water that you get dunked in. The gospel is a total surrender to Jesus Christ. I need him. I need his filling through the spirit. I need his power in the spirit. Right? I, I think about even, even as much as I appreciate and, and like the Great Commission type statements in scripture, Matthew 28, right? These words that compel us to make Christ known. It finishes with, behold, I am with you always. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without the commissioner. You need Jesus for that. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, like we need our Savior. We need the Spirit. We have to have Him. So yeah, true believers understand the richness of the gospel. How good it is. How life-altering, life-changing it is. It takes us from death to life. And if you are a true believer, you will proclaim this truth no matter the cost. No matter what hardship comes. So as I think about our response today, I believe that there is possible, maybe even likely, that there's someone here today who's never turned away from their sin and trusted in Jesus. And so I, I wanna urge you to do that right where you are. How do I do that? You, you simply pray. You call out to God, asking God to, telling God that you realize you're a sinner and that you need him to save you, asking him to forgive you and telling him you'll follow his every command. In fact, if you, if you need uh, help with that, you're confused by something I've said or haven't made something clear, then there are people in this room to my left that would love to talk with you love to pray with you. Maybe you're making that decision right now and you just want us to celebrate it with you. We do. We want to celebrate it with you and we want to help you figure out what next steps might be. But for those of us who have made that decision already, our question is, are we true believers? If we just kind of said something one time or, or is it real for us? Are we doing whatever it takes to make Christ's name known in all the earth? Are you, are you uh, more concerned about what suffering might come your way? We have a king. And as such, we follow our king, no matter the cost. We do whatever it is he says, however it is he says, whenever, wherever. Let's follow our King Jesus. Would you stand with me as we respond?